The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. All right, well, good morning. I'm not going to do a a lot here in ways of kind of uh, reviewing. Uh, We're just going to kind of pick up where we left off last time. Uh, But essentially, I'll I'll do a little bit of review. (laughs) Essentially, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to uh, see what the Bible says about the direction that we can have as Christians on how to think clearly about these issues where we see Christians coming down on different sides of the fence. Uh, There are issues you're going to face your whole life uh, where there are some Christians that say, hey, this is perfectly acceptable behavior. And then you see another group of Christians that also know the Lord and they're trying to follow Christ. They love God. And and they're they're saying just the opposite on that particular issue. And of course, that leaves us sometimes with confusion, sometimes with frustration. And we're left with the question, what about me? What can I do? Uh, What can I do when I really don't know what to do uh, based on what I see uh, Christians around me uh, doing here? So I raised um, six questions yesterday, and uh, three of them had really come from the student body. These are questions where I have seen Christians come down on both sides of the fence. Uh, The question of vaping, is it okay for a Christian to vape? Should a Christian vape? Uh, What about social drinking? And then, of course, the question of tattoos. So what we're going to do today is kind of an application of what we walked through yesterday. So yesterday we looked at 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, and we looked at how the Apostle Paul, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, examined a a topic in his own day and age that really was being struggled with uh, in the Corinthian church. And so their topic was something that we don't deal with today, but their topic was, can a Christian eat meat that had been used in these pagan rituals in the local temples. And for them, that was a big deal, especially based on their background and their culture. And some Christians had decided that it was fine, and some Christians thought that it wasn't fine. And so the Apostle Paul navigates that issue in these three chapters. And we mentioned yesterday that when you're thinking through one of these issues, where you're seeing Christians fall down on either side of the fence, and you're asking yourself, okay, well, what about me? What can I do or what should I do? There really are four considerations, and we're going to use this then as kind of a template for our thought process on the three questions that you all raised. So what does Scripture say, of course, is our first concern, and that should have been a surprise to no one. Perhaps what was a surprise was that we moved on to another question. If there's no prohibition in Scripture, if Scripture doesn't tell me I can't do something, is that the end of the matter? And of course, we explored in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 that that's not the end of the matter. There are at least three other considerations that a mature Christian is thinking through when deciding on whether or not to do a particular activity. One was the question of conscience. Um, Can I in good conscience do this activity? Can I really stand before God and say, I am confident that he would be fully pleased if I go forward in this? And that was question number two, consideration number two. And then, of course, we had to kind of think beyond ourselves. Um, Not just is there a prohibition in Scripture, and not just will my conscience allow it, but then also this question of uh, how will my action potentially uh, impact in a spiritual way those who are around me, whether it's the church, my brothers and sisters in Christ, or whether it is the lost and my testimony to them. And then, of course, the final question, which is not really a new or separate question, but it kind of envelops or encapsulates the other three considerations, and that is, at the end of the day, Uh, We do what we do in the Christian life because we think it will maximize God's glory in our life. This is priority number one. We want to bring glory to God. So when we look through these three issues, and by the way, they are difficult questions, 
And I do feel like I need to kind of add a caveat here at the beginning of our discussion on these three topics, um, that I am in, in no way suggesting that this is the end-all, be-all discussion on all three topics. I'll give you things to think about. We'll apply our thought process, but people have written whole books on these subjects. We get one chapel service, okay? So we'll do our best with it, and hopefully something that's said today will be helpful to you. What I'm really hoping is that uh, apart from the specific comments we make on these three issues here, that what you really take away from this is the, is the thought process we've been repeating. Um, this thought process that you can apply to these issues and really any other issue that you end up facing in the Christian life where you feel like there's confusion, where Christians are coming down on either side of the fence. So uh, the first question then, we're going to start with that topic of vaping. And I will tell you, in preparing this, this was probably one of the more difficult of the three topics, although all of them had their challenges. Let's start our thought process. We asked the first question here, what does Scripture say? And I had to tell you, when I was first preparing this, I did immediately run into a little bit of frustration, because as you probably have guessed it, there is no direct prohibition in Scripture about smoking or vaping. Uh, you can't find a Bible verse that says, thou shalt not vape. So does that mean then uh, that we're stuck here? Does that mean then that scripture doesn't address it at all? Something that I mentioned last time that I hope you, that, that you caught is that uh, the Bible really is sufficient to help us live godly lives. And so when we're making decisions and we're trying to please uh, the God who made us, the God who saved us, scripture always gives us enough. Sometimes when scripture gives us enough, it's not necessarily in the form of a command and prohibition. Sometimes it's in the form of a Bible principle. I want to remind you something that, that the Apostle Paul did in his discussion of the topic of meat offered to idols. Did you notice it last time? When he was talking through this and he began the discussion, he said this, as concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing and that there is none other God but one. You notice that when he was talking about, okay, so what do we know? What biblical principles or biblical truths do we know? And of course, Paul, toward the beginning of the discussion, was stepping over here with these believers that said there's no problem with this. How do you arrive at that conclusion? He did not arrive at that conclusion by finding a command in Scripture or a prohibition in Scripture that dealt directly with whether or not a believer should, meet, should eat meat that had been offered to idols. Instead, um, he thinks about more general principles, and specifically, two of them came to mind. There is only one God, and the number of passages in the Old Testament that affirm this are, are plenteous. There's only one God, and if there's only one God, then what does that mean about idols where pagans and, and pagan religions claim that those idols represent gods? Well, it means that those idols really represent nothing. Um, that the gods that they claim to be worshiping by worshiping those idols really are nothing. So you see what he did here? He didn't find a command about eating meat. He found a principle. There's only one God. So his reasoning looked something like this. There's only one God, which means that the idols here really do not represent other deities. That means then that the meat offered in these rituals, it's not tainted. Um, this meat was made by that one true God, and so his ultimate conclusion here was something practical on the matter. You can eat the meat. So when I think about vaping, it is true. There's not a specific verse that, that, that uh, condemns smoking or vaping. But there certainly are principles that should guide the Christian life and guide Christian thinking. And so we still are on step one of the thought process. 
We're still considering scripture. It's just that we've moved beyond looking for a specific command to see if the general framework of the word of God, what it teaches us is true about our God and our purpose here and our relationship with him. Is there anything in that broader teaching, the principles of scripture, that would would lead a Christian to say that, hey, this is not the thing to do. This is not what I should be doing. Um, I think that, okay, when you think about vaping, if you've done any reading about it and research, there are immediately two things that that will probably stand out to you. Um, people will focus on the idea, first of all, that there are health risks involved. Um, People talk about the health risks. Sometimes they'll talk about the short-term effects, and then sometimes they talk about uh, the fact that we don't know, since it's a relatively recent fad, we don't really know what the long-term effects may or may not be. And so this comes up quite a bit. There are health risks. And then the other factor that you commonly see people uh, talk about or refer to is the addictive nature, often of e-cigarettes and vaping and, and, and the cartridges and some of the things in them causing people to develop habits and wanting to go back for more. So I would say that both of these ideas, things in life, and, and really both of these principles could be applied to a number of different topics, not just vaping, but they do apply to vaping. Um, things that produce unnecessary health risks in the Christian life violate biblical principle. Things that would lead you to uh, getting involved with an addictive substance or an addictive behavior, these also are not compatible with biblical principle. What do I mean? Well, let's go ahead and talk through this briefly here. First of all, I don't think I need a Bible verse to, to demonstrate that this is something that the Bible teaches, right? I think we can all look at this and say, hey, if you've ever read scripture, spend any time in it, we could all say confidently that, that God has a plan for the people on earth that he has made. God has a plan for you. Um, what does this have to do with vaping? Well, we're getting there. Um, God has a plan for you. And if that's true, if the God that made me has a plan for me, then it seems to me that it would logically follow that you and I should make decisions that would help us to live out that plan. And one of the things that could keep us from that would be introducing unnecessary health risks, potential health problems, potentially leading to something that would cut our life short here on earth. If God has a plan for my life, then biblically speaking, just in the framework of scripture, I should be doing everything in my power to put me in a position to fulfill that plan. And anything that could become an obstacle to my fulfilling that plan, especially something here in the case of of, of introducing an unnecessary health risk, would be something that is, is not really compatible with biblical thinking, with biblical principles. Well, what about the concept here of addiction? What about Christians and addiction or addictive behaviors or addictive substances? Well, here too, we find that things that can lead to addictive behavior are also not compatible with the broader biblical principles in Scripture. Again, what do we mean? I don't think I need to show you a Bible verse, a specific Bible verse, because we could really go to dozens of them to demonstrate that this is true, Um, that God wants to be the sole master of your life. He wants to be the one who's calling the shots Um, He wants the Holy Spirit to be giving you guidance. He wants you to be regularly submitting to the Holy Spirit's guidance in your life. So if this is true, if this is what the Bible teaches, and it is, then it would logically follow that if God wants to be our sole master, then we should keep ourselves from competing masters. Other things that would be for vying for our mastery over our life Which would lead us then to another conclusion, and that is that addictive substances are such things that compete for mastery in a believer's life. Behaviors, substances that that lead to addictive tendencies, addictive behaviors, uh, really, if you're not careful, they're the things in your life that start to call the shots. You start to do what you do because of the addictive behavior, because of the addictive substance. And if that's calling the shots in your life, 
then you're not putting yourself in the best position to daily and to regularly submit to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. So, is there a Bible verse about vaping? There isn't. Uh, But is there a broader biblical principle, or should I say principles, uh, that lead the Christian to recognize that when I'm trying to live the Christian life here on earth, this is an activity where there is some incompatibility with the broader principles of Scripture? Remember, Here's the thing, in the, in the thought process, um, even if you were to look at these principles and not be truly convinced, I do think that you should be, but if you were not truly convinced, you still haven't completed the thought process. Let's go through the whole thing here. Um, the second consideration is your conscience. Even if you were to say, well, I'm not truly convinced by those principles here, I think I have freedom on this particular issue, the next check that you'd have to go through is, can I pick up that, that cartridge, that vape pen, can I do this activity and really truly believe that as I do this here, I am in good standing with my God? I want to remind you of the, of the passage that we highlighted from Romans 14 yesterday, that principle of whatsoever is not of faith is sin. That is, the moment that I, I, I put myself in a position where my disposition is, God, you may not be okay with this, but I'm going to do it anyway. You understand that at that point, it doesn't matter if there's a prohibition in Scripture. I've already crossed the line. I violated my conscience, and I put myself in a disposition of rebellion against God, saying, you might have a problem with it, but I don't care. And so when you're thinking through this thought process, hey, look at the biblical principles. Ask yourself the question of conscience. Move on to the third question. Um, how will this impact my impact on the spiritual well-being of believers in my life um, or the sphere of influence of the unsaved that God brings across my path. I think here also, when it comes to the activity of vaping, uh, this also raises a, a problem for Christians. The general consensus in our society is that, at the very least, vaping is a risky behavior. It could be detrimental to your health. And who knows what the lasting effects will be when we do long-term studies down the road. It's risky. It seems to me incongruent then with Christian witness that on the one hand, we sit there and we're, we're vaping, and then on the other hand, we have our gospel tract saying, hey, I'm, I'm acting in a less than prudent way in my life, but I'm also trying to tell you that I have the answers for life here in the gospel. Um, does vaping as an activity in some way uh, inhibit our Christian testimony? And I would say there are real concerns here. We take all these three considerations and we wrap it up in our final question. Can we really? This is the question you need to ask. This is the question I need to ask on this activity and all others. At the end of the day, am I putting myself in a position to maximize God's glory in my life by doing this? So we looked at some principles here from Scripture, conscience, others, God's glory about the topic of vaping. Let's move on to your second question, and that is the question of social drinking. Um, Here, there is no shortage of biblical passages. So what does the Bible say about alcohol consumption anyway? Well, Christians would agree that there is a a clear red line in the Bible on what a Christian shouldn't do regarding alcohol consumption, and that is we should not get drunk. There are a number of passages here. I think one of the more well-known ones perhaps is Ephesians 5.18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. But in contrast to this, instead of bringing yourself under the influence of wine, you should instead bring yourself under the control and the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. If something in your life is going to be calling the shots and leading you and directing you, don't let it be a substance. Let it be the Holy Spirit of God. So these two things are contrasted, and he says in plain language, do not be drunk with wine. So Christians would generally agree that there's a red line here, that Christians should not get drunk. 
There are, however, other warnings in Scripture about alcohol consumption. I think about a couple of well-known verses in Proverbs, and some of you have probably already mentally gone there when you're thinking about what the Bible says on this subject. Proverbs 21 is a famous one. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. The idea here is that wine can, again, lower your inhibitions, change your behavior, lead you to say things and do things that you would not do. Wine can lead to mocking. Um, Strong drink can lead to raging. Whosoever, we're warned here, is deceived thereby, it's not wise. And of course, maybe even more famous than this is the passage that appears at the end of Proverbs 23. Six questions. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? And the answer to these questions is in the verses that follow. They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. When you hear about mixed wine in today's culture, you're probably thinking about mixed alcoholic beverages. All this probably means is spices add to the wine to to, to add flavor or something like that. The people that tarry long at this, these are the people that have these difficulties. He goes on to give this advice. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it, that is the alcoholic beverage, it biteth like a serpent, Sting, it stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, thine heart shall utter perverse things. Again, there's this emphasis on a loss of control. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say. You're delirious. I was not sick. Uh, they have beaten me, and I felt not. You're saying things that are incoherent, incongruent. When shall I awake? And then, of course, here, the addictive nature of alcohol is emphasized. When I awake, that is, I get out of this drunken stupor, I will seek it yet again. So we see that there's a red line in Scripture. Christians are not to get drunk. There are warnings in Proverbs, but even in the New Testament, there are some passages that will highlight this idea of drunkenness and give us warnings about alcohol. Um, Galatians chapter 5 is a passage that's familiar to many of you because of the fruits of the Spirit, right? If you're living under spirit control, these are the types of behaviors that will be produced in your life. Um, It also is well known for giving us a list of behaviors that will be exhibited in the life of a person who's given themselves over to the control of their flesh. So here's what Paul says in Galatians 5, 16, and then we'll skip down to verses 19 through 21. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If you're, if you're submitting to the Holy Spirit, then you will not be submitting to the lusts of the flesh. He goes on and, and lists some of these for us. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness. He lists a few others. Among the works of the flesh that he lists here is drunkenness. Notice also what Paul says in another letter, in Romans 13. So he says here, you need to submit to the Holy Spirit's control. Um, You need to uh, not do these works of the flesh here. One of them would be getting drunk, drunkenness. And then in Romans 13 here, he says, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Here's what he says. Here's how the Christians should live. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and listen carefully to this next phrase, and make not provision for the flesh. That is, give no opportunity to the flesh. Don't put yourself in a position where you're going to be fulfilling the lusts of the flesh or facing a greater temptation to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. This is critical uh, because here we're seeing, on the one hand, a Christian shouldn't get drunk. Then we're seeing drunkenness listed as a work of the flesh. 
And then we're being told to give no quarter to these works of the flesh. Don't let it on your doorstep. The idea really is here, stay as far away from these things as you possibly can. Um, All of these uh, warnings and admonitions in Scripture uh, lead me to conclude uh, that Scripture here is is telling us to, as Christians, if we want to live the Christian life, um, to stay far away from alcohol because of the things that we are inviting into our life. Um, You know some of the statistics about alcoholism and whatnot. Um, You've heard maybe this statistic before that in the United States, uh, somewhere around the the, the number of 6% of of, of adults in the United States will will develop some sort of alcohol abuse problem. You know, people who who tend to go with a a moderation view, that is, okay, I agree with you on the clear line of Scripture here to not get drunk, but I think a few drinks are okay, or I think a glass of wine occasionally is okay. My question is, okay, if if you've landed there in examining the biblical data, Um, if you've landed there, well, you're opening yourself up here to the possibility that as soon as you invite that in, you're you're potentially making provision for the flesh. You're potentially putting yourself in a position here uh, where you will have a serious problem. Um, Scripture here is warning us, it's not just dabble in it. Um, Don't make provision for it at all. However, if you are in your mind not convinced uh, of, of this from Scripture, we still need to go through the rest of the thought process here. What about your conscience? On every issue, you're always asking yourself the question, what does the Bible say on the matter? What am I warned about? What am I commanded to do? What am I prohibited to do? So on and so forth. You're looking at scriptural data. You're looking at biblical principles, but then you're moving on to the question of conscience. Uh, can I, here's the question you're asking yourself, can I sit there with a glass of alcohol, um, a glass of wine in the evening or whatever, and can I in good conscience drink that, feeling that I am absolutely right with my God and doing right before him. This is a question that is critical to going through some of these issues here that we're talking about today. The process, the thought process has to go through your mind. And then, of course, we have to ask the question, what about the impact on others? I gave you a statistic right now, uh, well, a few minutes ago here, I got about the 6% here. Um, we have to recognize something again, that even if you're convinced that, that moderation is the view and, and that Scripture is not prohibiting alcohol consumption, it's just saying be careful with it, which again, I do not think that that's where we land when we look at all the biblical data. But even if that's your mindset, you have to consider what your consumption in moderation could do in the life of another believer. You know, we don't always have control um, over, over uh, what a believer is, becomes aware of in our lives. You know, sometimes we like to think that we can do things behind closed doors. Um, we like to think that we have a private life. Uh, but in this day and age of oversharing especially, where personal questions are definitely, uh, they're definitely on the menu, um, and you're having a discussion with a Christian, let's say you've come to the conclusion in your mind where you think that moderation is fine, um, you're, you're, you're interacting with another believer, and that believer who looks up to you and respects you and is thinking about this and his own life or her own life, and can I drink or should I drink, and, and this comes up in conversation, it comes out to them that you drink in moderation, and, and they do not have the control you have, and it's through your moderation and influence on this person that this person ends up drinking and then ultimately abusing alcohol and crossing that line into drunkenness. This ha- we have to consider this a real possibility, you know, a lot of times when we talk about this subject, we're just trying to think, okay, I want, I want to know where my freedoms are. You know, I want to know where, my, where the line is. I want to know what I can do. And, and I want to just know black and white here, um, what does Scripture tell me uh, that I can do? What does it prohibit me from doing? But we have to recognize that we do not live on an island. And that the behaviors that we do, the things that we do, uh, the things that we get involved in, choose to do in our lives, there is a ripple effect. There's an impact. 
You remember last time that we talked about this, there are a couple of different categories of, of people that we could potentially impact by this. Brothers in Christ, but then also uh, lost family and friends, that circle of influence. So it's not just the warnings in Scripture, although for me personally, I think that is enough. We go in and we ask the question, well, in my conscience, um, can, I, can I drink this glass of wine in the evening in faith? That's the question we're asking for Romans 14. Can I do it in full confidence that God is pleased? We move on and ask the question, is there even a risk here that I could lead someone to spiritual damage by doing this in my life, should they become aware of my, of, of, of my stance on this, uh, of my behavior in my own life? Uh, and then we're asking that final question, um, will I ultimately put myself in a position to maximize God's glory in my life? I want to remind you of something that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 when he was talking about the meat offered to idols issue. You remember when he was talking through that, he didn't reach some sort of like middle ground on the issue. Do you remember what he said? Um, he's thinking through the issue and he's thinking about uh, the potential for these stronger believers in Corinth to lead some of the, 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 the weaker believers there into spiritual peril. He said that, hey, it could be that someone sees what you're doing in your life and they will be emboldened to act against their own conscience. You're going to cause them damage. damage. You're going to cause them to perish. You are going to offend them. That is, cause them spiritual hurt. And so here's what he said in his own mind. Here's where I draw the line for me, Paul says. When it comes to this issue, if it is even possible that I could in some way have a negative spiritual impact on people in my life through what I'm doing, then as long as the world stands, I will eat no flesh. You know, for him, it wasn't a middle ground. For him, for the Apostle Paul, he's thinking through, if there is even a possibility here that I could cause harm to someone spiritually that Christ died for, um, then I will completely remove that element from my life. Because for the Apostle Paul, remember, uh, love really was uh, trumping liberty. Do I have freedoms to do some things? Surely Paul saw that he did. But at the end of the day, he recognized his love for his Savior and his love for, his love for the people that his Savior died for. Uh, this did, in some instances, move the Apostle Paul to give up a particular liberty. Well, let's go ahead and move on to our third and final topic here. And again, in none of these issues here am I saying that this is the final word. I'm not trying to suggest to you that I've covered every possible angle. Rather, I'm trying to encourage you to take a thought process where we consider scripture, we consider conscience, we consider spiritual impact on others, we consider God's glory in our life, and we're applying that here as we think through these difficult issues on which Christians disagree. Well, the third question here is the question of tattoos. Um, how does a Christian think through the subject of tattoos? Well, first of all, we do need to kind of go back here and ask the question of what Scripture says. And, and whenever I've heard discussions on tattoos before and people, tr people are, are trying to bring up a Bible verse or talk about it from Scripture, inevitably, um, and you've probably heard this before, uh, inevitably someone will bring up Leviticus 19.28, which says, "...you shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead." nor print any marks, there's a reference to something akin to tattooing, nor print any marks upon you, I am the Lord. Well, before I give you my reasons why, I do want to go ahead and begin by saying that I do not think that this verse applies directly to the modern practice in the United States of tattooing. But let me go ahead and back up and give you some reasoning on this. If you look at the previous verse, you start to realize that, wait a minute, maybe the direct application to modern Christians is not as obvious as, as, as some people have made it out to be. The previous verse says something like this. You shall not round the corners of your heads. It's talking about cutting your hair. Neither shalt thou mar or cut the corners of your beard. That is, shave this part up here. 
Um, so verse number 28 seems to be talking about tattoos. Verse 27 is talking about the way you cut your hair or the way that you trim your beard. Um, well, zoom out a little bit. What is Leviticus 19 talking about in the first place? Or who's it talking to? What's God doing here? And why is he saying the things that he's saying? Even zoom out from there. What is the book of Leviticus focused on? Uh, well, remember where we are in the biblical story. In the book of Leviticus, Israel is sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai, right? And they're getting God's law. And God is telling them how they are going to live in the land that they're going to, the promised land. You're going to be a holy people. This is the, the theme uh, phrase here in the book of Leviticus. You're going to be a holy people. And when you get to the land, there are going to be a lot of things that the people groups in the land and around the land are doing that you as my holy people should not do. You're going to be different as you reveal to the people around you, the nations around you, the knowledge of your God. As you walk according to his law. And so in this context here, God tells them, that, hey, there are things that those people do that are not okay for my people. Specifically, tattooing in the land of Canaan seemed to be something that had religious connotation to it. That people wouldn't just do it for aesthetic purposes, which is largely what happens at least in the United States culture. Um, it wasn't really about aesthetic purposes uh, so much as it was about marking yourself with some sort of mark that showed your allegiance to a particular deity. And so I do not think that this passage is, is, is analogous to what we're seeing here in our culture today, and so does not directly apply. And this is beside the fact that, again, we're dealing with Old Testament law. You know that while we don't throw the law away, there's certainly things we can learn about God there, and there are principles within the law. You understand the law as law is something that Christians are free from. And so this passage does not directly apply, but does that mean we're done with the thought process? I don't see a prohibition in Scripture that says, thou shalt not get tattoos, this one here applying to Old Testament Israel under the law in the land, um, are we done with the thought process? Again, go through it in your mind. What about the idea of conscience? You have to ask yourself this question. You don't want to, in your Christian life, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you are putting yourself in a, in, a, in a disposition of disobedience toward God. That is, hey, I'm not truly convinced that this is something a Christian should do, but I'm going to do it anyway. You never should get there. You should never violate your conscience. So you ask yourself that question. And then, of course, you need to ask another question, and I, hear, I think here's where we can add a few more thoughts here about tattoos and to help us think through this as Christians. What about our impact, our spiritual impact on others? Um, here, I think that there are a couple of things that Christians do need to consider. So when we think about the others principle, remember, it's not I do what I do because someone else, or I don't do what I don't do because someone else might be upset at me. That's not the others principle. The other's principle is, I will, through my action, cause spiritual harm to either a brother in Christ or uh, to those that I am trying to be a gospel witness to. Well, what are some considerations here that have to be in our mind? One of the things that we need to point out here, well, let me, let me back up here. Um, I did read a neat little book um, on conscience a while back, a couple of authors, and they actually brought up the issue of tattoos and they made this comment. They said that even though Scripture does not have a prohibition against tattoos, me and, and, and there's two authors, the co-author here, me and this co-author have decided that for us we're not going to do it. And, and the reason they came to that conclusion was exactly this, the other's principle. And here's what they essentially concluded. They realized that you can think about tattoos as people in the United States, uh, but not every culture thinks about tattoos the same way. They realize that some other cultures, uh, they, they look at tattoos as not just adornment or aesthetic, but in, in some cultures, tattoos have religious significance. 
Um, You are making, by getting a tattoo, a spiritual claim. Now, this is not true in every culture, but here was the conclusion that they came to. They said, because we are not certain that in the future God will lead us to minister to a culture where tattoos are looked at uh, as something of making a spiritual claim that is contrary to gospel principle, then we cannot in good conscience go forward. And for us, we've decided not to do this. Now, here's the thing. You could say, well, that's kind of an obscure line of reasoning. And you may disagree with their conclusion. But you cannot disagree with their thought process. You see where their mind is. Their mind is thinking through, not just is there a prohibition, but by doing this, am I putting myself in the best possible position to have a positive spiritual impact on those around me? And in their particular instance, they're thinking about their Christian witness to the lost. There's one other element here regarding the other's principle that you really have to have go through your mind. And that is this idea that tattoos, in the end, they communicate. Now, I have had conversations with people uh, about tattoos and whatnot. I know that sometimes people who have tattoos, they get, they get frustrated about this because they get asked the question, what does your tattoo mean? And they get frustrated by that question sometimes because in some cases, well, there really is no major significance. I thought it looked cool, or I thought it was a neat design, or I really like butterflies or something along those lines, and really that's all there is to it. And so when someone is implying here that surely there's something deeper here, it can cause a little bit of frustration. But at the end of the day, we need to recognize something. When you choose to put a word or a phrase on your skin and it's permanent or an image, um, you are making a bit of a value statement. And the thing about this is you don't really get to control the conversation always. People will view this and, and they'll say, wait a minute, um, I wonder why they have that phrase or I wonder why they have that word or I wonder why they have that design. Some people may not think about it at all. But at least there's a possibility where someone will look at that will wonder what that has to say about your particular values. And it is possible that the internal dialogue that's going through their mind as they observe the tattoo would not be something that would be uh, helpful to our Christian witness. So we're going through this thought process, and of course the last one is, will I, by getting a tattoo, you have to ask yourself the question, getting a tattoo, is this going to put myself in a position to maximize God's glory in my life? I want to sh- leave just one verse. I know the bell has rung. Let me leave you with one verse. 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 helps us with this mature Christian thinking. Multiple considerations. You can apply it to all these topics, all these questions. But I want to show you something here. We're not just merely following the thought process of the Apostle Paul. The passage bleeds into the next chapter here. And in chapter 11, verse number 1, here's what Paul says. When you think through these issues, follow me. But at the end of the day, who was Paul modeling his life after? It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Hey, listen you're going to be faced with a lot of questions in your life. Some of them are going to be more difficult than others. My, my honest prayer for you is that as you're thinking through this as mature believers, you take these different elements into consideration and let this mature Christian thinking thought process guide your decisions at the end of the day. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.